We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast, episode six of the Moose and Runes podcast. We have. A major announcement coming your way in just a few moments, but first things first, I gotta greet my co-host, my brother-in-arms, Matt Rooney. How are we doing this morning? I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm happy to help uh, usher in a new era of Moose and Runes with you this morning. That's right, and uh, that new era is marked by some legitimacy, so I need you to do me a favor right now. If you're listening on SoundCloud like you have been for the last five weeks, I need you to hit pause, and I need you to search Moose and Runes Podcast in the iTunes Podcast app. Launch it. We are now on iTunes. Hit that subscribe button. You will get your weekly update every single week. We're super excited to be on iTunes now. I got to imagine this is what Kanye felt like when he got his uh, Rockefeller chain, Matt. I don't know what that means exactly, but (laughs) I would imagine that it's important, and I feel Uh, the same way. It uh, it gives a little bit of a, a legitimacy. You know, we were just a couple of SoundCloud rappers prior to, but thank you, Matt, for all your hard work getting us up there on iTunes. So again, we are on iTunes. Search Moose and Runes Podcast in the iTunes Podcast portal. That'll bring us up. Pound that subscribe button for us, and we will keep bringing you quality content on a week-to-week basis. Matt, we ready to kick this week off? Always. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, we're going NBA Finals talk. Uh, we'll probably spend more time talking about it than uh, than the game spent uh, being interesting. I don't know if that makes any sense. But no, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting game, down there. Uh, there were a couple moments in that game where it was uh, competitive, it looked good, and then uh, it just got late in that game, and the the Warriors ran away with it again, Matt. Uh, what, were, what was your takeaway from both games one and game two? Uh, the Warriors are very good at basketball. That's that's that's, that's my analysis. Um, that is a, that no, is a clear game, assessment. Game one was the first quarter was fun, um, and then you know wasn't after that. Game two, the first half was fun. So hoping by game four we get like a full fun game, like the entire way it stays close. But I'm, I'm not totally sure that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, when when Steph and KD are both throwing up double doubles and thirty plus a night, and you have Clay being a role player, uh, you know, hitting his threes, it's you're not, you're not really going to win when Golden State's missing. You're not going to beat them. Yeah, not, Golden, not missing, excuse me. Golden Thank State's you. forcing Cleveland into, into a situation where they not only have to minimize mistakes, you can't make mistakes against this Golden State team. Because right now, they're not only clicking on all cylinders, but it's a full effort. I feel like in NBA, oftentimes, teams and players will hold back knowing that they can accomplish whatever the goal is without giving that that full 100%. But now that we're in the finals, the Golden State is giving it the 100% effort as well as having everyone healthy and clicking on all cylinders. It just doesn't look like a winnable series for the Cavaliers, which is unfortunate for us, the viewers and uh, the people who enjoy the game, because it's just the product isn't entertaining right now. They build it as what could have been the greatest series of all time, and it's going to fall flat on its face. If it continues like this and the games are 20-point margins every game, it might go down as one of the worst finals of all time. 
Yeah, I agree. And, you know, even not so much game one, but last night, Golden State had, what, eight turnovers? Uh, it was in the first quarter or so, whatever. Like, they weren't playing well, and that's kind of what. game, yeah. They weren't playing well, and that's what kept Cleveland in it, but they still had the lead. They were still on top. You still always felt that they kind of had control of it the entire way, and then once they started to play well, it became, you know, a, a total blowout. So I'm, if Golden State plays to their capabilities, I don't really care how well Cleveland's playing, how well LeBron's playing. They don't have the, the manpower to keep up with those, you know, big big three, big four that, that Golden State's trotting out there. Not even close, and – Correct me if I'm wrong here, but LeBron almost looks resigned to his fate at this point. He He's not the LeBron we usually see. I'm not talking about performance-wise, but he's not complaining to the refs that often, which is refreshing, but he, he looks beaten. He looks tired. He looks downtrodden. And Golden State, I mean, to defend LeBron, Golden State has three players averaging 20 points or more. They have back-to-back MVPs on their roster. They have two of the greatest shooters of all time in their backcourt, and four total Olympians on the team, they needed that in order to beat a 32-year-old LeBron James. So I think that if you look at this through a different lens, maybe not the the game-to-game analysis, but look, kind of step back and look at this, this is almost credit to to LeBron's greatness that they had to go load up like that. And it is a monster that LeBron created. He went out and did the big three in Miami, and Golden State says, we see your three, we raise you four. So he's now kind of dealing with... uh, dealing with a beast that he created. Yeah, I, I think the scary thing about this, too, is that this Golden State team really isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, KD, I think I saw on Twitter in the news somewhere this week, basically said he's – reports are saying he's very willing to take less money to keep this super team together. So w- when's the next time they're not going to win an NBA title? If, if, yeah. this, if these four stay together, I don't care who's playing around them. They might not have the greatest regular seasons. They might you know, only win, only win 60 in the regular season. But when they get to the playoffs, who is going to beat those four? There's no one right now, and that'll only continue to, you know, bolster this arms race mentality that teams have in order to try and become competitive. But I, I really think that Cleveland is the second best, far and beyond the second best team in the NBA. And if the second best team is nowhere near the first best team, then your competitive balance is shot. It's it's not a situation that has a solution. You could go get Chris Paul and put him on the Spurs, or you can go get Jimmy Butler and put him on Boston or put him on Cleveland. I don't think it matters if this team stays intact in Golden State. No, I think the only way that Golden State goes down is if they suffer not one, but maybe two major injuries to those big four. And obviously you don't wish injury upon anybody. That's not what I'm saying. But I think the only way somebody beats them is if they – just get severely beaten by the injury bug. I think, I think that's the only competitor for them right now is health. One thing that's really stuck out to me too, Matt, is where in the world is Kyrie Irving right now? I know he's his numbers aren't terrible. He's still averaging 21.5 points a game in these first two games, but he's been god-awful. We talked about that Curry-Irving uh, matchup in last week's podcast and how excited we were for that, and that's been a non-factor. Steph and everyone else that's faced him on Golden State's team has pretty much embarrassed them. He's got seven turnovers, pardon me, seven assists to only, no, seven turnovers to only nine assists. You're talking about your point guard, your facilitator. He's got nine assists through two games. He's turned the ball over seven times. Yeah, you know, he's, he's coming off too. Was argue, I mean, in that Boston series, he was arguably the best player on that Cavs team, including LeBron. I think you know, he had that, what was it, game three where he completely took over. Game four, he was huge too. And he, I'm sorry, game, yeah, it was game four or five, I forget which one, but, um, 
we were, like you said, all excited about seeing him versus Steph, and he Kyrie finally started to seem to be taking that next step into superstardom, into being one of those big guys in the NBA. And now it just, like you said, nine assists to seven turnovers. That, that can't happen in the first two games of the NBA Finals against anyone, let alone the Golden State Warriors. And it's inexplicable because this isn't a guy who, like we said, we're still waiting for him to prove himself. He won the NBA championship. He shot the yeah. shot last year. The clutch gene is solidified. This is just a matter of not showing up to the moment is what it looks like. It almost like that same mindset LeBron had maybe early on when they got blown out. These guys kind of realized what they were getting into and it maybe mentally took something a little bit out of them. You, uh, you sent me a funny text last night, Matt, after the game about uh, LeBron's reaction. What was that? LeBron had a oh, quote, yeah. something along the lines of, Just need some food and wine and I'll be all right. Don't, I think that's that's a that's a positive way to look at things. But you you said that's that's the basic approach. Uh, I, that's a little it's, bit basic, a little bit basic yeah. in my taste. I'm we not, just uh, need, he's just short of a frappuccino and like a Birkin bag. Exactly. Okay. Maybe yeah. a, maybe a, a male romper too. And and I think and I think that's even more credit to the point that he might be resigned to his fate here. That seems like quite a deflection for LeBron James to be talking like that after a game too. We might be overanalyzing a little bit, but. I think that LeBron, when he came out of the game last night and sat down, he just looked so defeated that he knew he had done everything he could and somewhat saw the writing on the wall already in Game 2. You know, Game 3 will definitely be interesting to tune in and see what happens because I think last year, if I I saw right on social media a little bit earlier today, uh, I think Golden State won by something like 32 in Game 2 of last year's NBA Finals to take a 2-0 lead, and obviously we know how that turned out. Mm -hmm. Um, But I... That first half of Game Three is probably going to be the series. Uh, if, Cleveland, if Cleveland can come out and put together, you know, a big first half and maybe get up a lead and build up enough of a lead where Golden State's going to have trouble coming back in the second half, we might be in for a series. But if that first half doesn't go Cleveland's way, this this is probably ending at four. Matt, so you're saying that first half is huge? It's huge. It's going to be. It's going to be it's, huge. huge with a Y. Right. Matt, as the NBA playoffs kind of downtrend in interest. The NHL playoffs sparked us a little bit last week. We got Nashville making a series out of it. The series now two games to one. Smashville taking their home opener in game three. They looked like a different hockey team, Matt. They did. Um, they, they made a couple lineup changes. I believe it was uh, Cody McLeod and Vernon Fiddler, Fiddler excuse me, were pulled for... Uh, Harry Zolnerchuk and P.A. Parento, a little bit more speed at the bottom of their lineup, which I think really did help them. Um, I think Zolnerchuk even drew a penalty that led to uh, the Roman Yossi goal. So bottom bottom, uh, bottom of the lineup guys kind of making a, a, a change and adjustment for Nashville that, that helped them with their speed. I think it shows that speed helps combat speed, not slower um, guys who maybe try and play a little bit more physical. But yeah. this was game three. Uh, they, they just got embarrassed a little bit on the road. They were coming home into one of the rowdiest environments in the NHL. That's the key, right? I, I, I think everyone kind of – okay, maybe not everyone expected them to come out and win, but I don't think anybody's surprised that Nashville came out, played one of their best hockey games, and won that game. If I had to predict what's going to happen, if I had to pick between our two predictions, which you had, mm-hmm. the, you had the Pens in five, I had Nashville in seven – before I watch tonight, I'm still saying I would lean more towards Pittsburgh in five. And I think that's a great point, Matt. Game four tonight, I think, is going to be the pivotal moment in this series. If, if the, the Predators can hold serve, hold court, and take two at home, you restart the series, you're 2-2. I still think that the Pens do go on to win it. And maybe, well, obviously, more in your predictions vein than mine, but 
they have made a series of this, and just that building in Nashville, Matt, I think it's worth a win and a half per series because they do have that air of this is new for us. This is something that we've always wanted. And you can really tell that when they scored that first goal to tie it up, it was just a snowball effect. Five unanswered goals in a Stanley Cup final is something that I feel like only happens in a building like that in a situation like this. Yeah, they, like you mentioned how you know it's new to them and you can kind of feel the excitement in the crowd, how they really haven't been there before. And, and you can you could feel how excited and happy everyone really is to be there and how badly they want Nashville to win. Yeah, Carrie Underwood headbanging. It on, honestly it reminds me a little bit of what Wrigley sounded like last year in that you know World Series playoff run. That's kind of how loud it. Obviously, it's a little, an indoor building, so the, the the noise can be a little bit more condensed, sound a little bit louder. But that's how it kind of reminded me that awesome of an atmosphere, that rowdy of an atmosphere, that excited of an atmosphere in a fan base that we really haven't seen probably since the Blackhawks early on in their run. Yeah, that energy. There's an energy in that building that's just different. There's there's an air in that building that we've all been in, in, in a loud atmosphere before, uh, whether it be a con- concert atmosphere or a big game seven or whatever it is. But when there's a moment that you can feel is almost a, a turning point in a franchise, a different air surrounds that building. You could feel it in 2010 with the Hawks or even in 2009 when they kind of made themselves serious contenders. That type of thing is happening in Nashville right now, and it's really fun to watch. Speaking of, of the Blackhawks, am I a bad Blackhawks fan because I'm kind of rooting for Nashville here? Like, I know they see the Blackhawks and they're, you know, as big kind of rivals. I'm kind of looking down at them thinking, this is really cool. I really don't hold any ill will against them. I love P.K. Subban. Like, I kind of want to see them win. I know they're in the division and quote-unquote right rivals, but I kind of like them. I'm right there with you, Matt, too, uh, for, for a number of reasons. One, I really don't care to see the Pens go back-to-back. Two... You, you always have that excuse of, oh, we got knocked out by the champs. That means nothing, but I don't know if that gains you some sort of mental solace. And three, it's really hard to do this thing back-to-back, and the Hawks have shown that. So yeah. maybe get out of the way this year, Nashville, and then have your hangover next year, and we'll take care of business again, the, the Hawks. Yeah, I think you kind of said it perfectly, what's going on. I'm just, I'm just rationalizing that. It, it, it sounds good. You're very rational. One last thing on this series, Pekka settled down. I think he stopped 27 of 28 shots, which he did. As we but said, if your goal is not playing good hockey, you have no chance. And Pekka looked like Pekka Rene again. Yeah, he, he looked good, but it's it's a it's a seven game series, not you know one game in Nashville. I I still think if I had to bet, I, I'm kicking myself for making my the prediction I did before the series, believing in Pekka Rene. But from what <laughs> I saw in games one and two, I'm more inclined to believe he's going to regress than that than be the superstar he's shown flashes of being and more so be the goalie he's been his entire career. But we'll see. We'll We'll see. I hope he figures it out. I do. That is uh, game four tonight on Monday. So it should be a good one, and it's going to be a big one. 3-1, a lot different than 2-2. And pretty much every time Pittsburgh has gotten blown out or beaten pretty good this playoffs, they've come back the next game with a big response. I think it was at Ottawa. They lost 7 to nothing, and then they ended up game four beating them like five to one something like that so look for them to early and often try and get one on the board and, and use that silencing of the crowd to snowball in their direction a little bit yeah it's a it's a team full of veterans and that's what, what veterans do a, a golf veteran we're going to talk about here matt someone that we all know and love someone that we welcome into our homes 
pretty much every Sunday. And this someone, one hurts me, Joe. This one hurts. Someone me that still needs that elusive fourth major for the major Grand Slam needs the U.S. Open. Phil Mickelson electing to step out of the U.S. Open this year at Aaron Hills to attend his daughter's high school graduation. Matt, I know this one hurts you because you're a big Phil guy. What was your uh, What was your initial reaction on this one? I mean, I, I saw it, and it was almost like I kind of had to do a double take on the tweet. I mean, you know how important that U.S. Open is to him. I think it be what the sixth person in, in history to ever complete that career grand slam but phil is always in his, his entire career kind of been a family guy i think it was uh in 99 when he had that u.s open duel with uh, with Payne stewart where he his, his wife basically was on uh I'll do any minute for one of their their daughters and um he basically said if my wife beats me at any time i'm i'm out of here i don't care if i'm leading whatever i'm, I'm going back and obviously she never said she never would have done that but phil's just Phil's a family first kind of guy. Yeah, um, and, and as then, badly as he wants that U.S. Open, I, I guess I, I mean you can't blame the guy. And I, I think Phil's very comfortable with his current resume. He does have six runner-ups in these U.S. Opens, which has to be a thorn in his side. But next year, they go to Shinnecock, and that's one of the places where he is already a runner-up. It's a course he knows a lot better than Aaron Hills. He might just be writing off Aaron Hills this year. You know, the dates don't jive with his family schedule, as you said, and he might be uh, he might be feeling like he might not have the best chance around some of these bigger hitters at Aaron Hills. Uh, he'll have a better chance at a track that he knows at Shinnecock. I, I don't know. I, I really don't. But it's we're going to miss Phil because whether Phil's on the top of his game or not contending at all, he's fun to watch. We'll at least get two days of him trying crazy flop shots from green sides and It'll be exciting. He's a fixture in these majors, and it's really going to be a bummer not to have him there. Yeah, you know, I, I'm glad you brought up that first point, too, because I was talking about this with my dad and brothers a little bit this, with, uh, about this yesterday. But I, I think that the, the Aaron Hills factor kind of had not a lot to do with it, but I don't think it made it any harder to, uh, to make the decision that he did. It's, you know, like you said, of course, he's not really familiar with one that might not suit his game very well. He hasn't been firing on all cylinders this year. He's kind of shown flashes of being good, but hasn't been his normal self so maybe he kind of thinks this isn't the best tournament for him this isn't the best fit kill kind of two birds with one stone here go see the graduation and you know regroup next year be ready for a course that he knows very well and can knows he can win the thing that goes against all of the rationalization we're just doing right here though is that phil mickelson's 46 years old soon to be 47 years old he's only got let's call it generously eight more cracks at the u.s eight more legitimate competitive cracks at a U.S. Open and he's already he's already older than the oldest to win it Hale Irwin is the oldest person to ever win the U.S. Open at 45 years old so Phil's definitely playing against father time here you would think that that might lean him towards the tournament and away from the graduation and I'm not necessarily convinced that this is written this is set in stone yet Come, I'll, I'll be convinced on Thursday of Open Week when Phil isn't there. That's when I'll be convinced. Because you got to think that some strings are being pulled. It's a high school graduation. I'm Phil Mickelson. Let's not make a big deal of it. But can we maybe move this up to Friday? Phil gets a early Thursday tea time. I know the USJ is not doing any favors for anyone, but you could make this work. It yeah. Feels. Hey, that, that was another thing that seemed kind of weird that the high school kind of didn't think that one through a little bit. I know it's just one student of many, and they're all of equal importance and all that. He's but the he's Phil Mickelson. And, and you are 
you're making the U.S. You're making your graduation during the U.S. Open, and you know Phil Mickelson's kid goes to your school. And I'm sure Phil Mickelson has probably <laughs> given a good amount of money to that school over the course of however long his kids have been going there. Can we look at the schedule before we put it down on paper? Please? It doesn't seem that hard. Yeah, but you gotta you gotta step back and applaud Phil for this decision. Like you said, he's a family man, and that's that's really the essence of why we love Phil Mickelson. He always, even though he's a multimillionaire, successful investor, multiple major winning champion, he made you feel like you could sit in a foursome with him, you could ride in the cart with him, and it would be a blast. He made you feel like he kept that every man that he started off with. I would totally agree with that. He just seems kind of like, like you said, a guy who anybody could ride in the cart with and have fun with for 18. But you you touched on how you know he, he is going up against Father Time. He's what going to be 47. But does it really feel that way? I mean, I I, I know yes. he hasn't won the big one in a while, but it always feels like going into these majors, even though he's 46, 47, his name is always up at the top, and he's always kind of hanging around up there. He, his game doesn't seem to be falling off that much. The consistency a little bit, maybe, but he's still he's, got that elite level when he wants it. He's got a very sustainable game. He's always had a very sustainable swing, and it's it's low impact. It doesn't hurt him. But I think, what was it, 2013, his last one when he won the British? British, yeah. Yeah, he won the British in 2013, and I think that kind of rerouted the narrative because he hadn't won for a while, and now we're on the tail end of still remembering that 2013 one quite fondly. So I, I, I don't think he's as big of a threat as he may look um, because we do – hold him in the regard that we hold him. We might exalt him a little bit beyond what he actually is at this moment. Yeah, that's that's that, that's fair. Um, yeah. That said, this U.S. Always, Open, even though Phil's likely not going to be in it, I'm looking very much forward to seeing what Aaron Hills does to these players. It's going to be a blast, and hopefully uh, we can get some of these bigger names into it because that always gets the, the casual golf fan involved when Jordan Speed, Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler, those type of guys, Jason Day, are at the top of leaderboards. And that hasn't been the case early on in the season. Fowler in contention yesterday. Uh, Jason Duffner walks away, kind of stumbled home the last two days after going 7 under 7 under the first two days. It, it just hasn't been the blockbuster season that we've grown to expect over the last couple of years with the PGA Tour. No, but Aaron Hills does have the potential to make it that. I think it's playing yeah. like the second longest major in, or second longest major in, in history. Uh, I think it's seventy six ninety three. Um, I think I was talking with my brother. He was he obviously he researches all these courses, knows everything about them. But I think he said there's a chance one of these par fives is going to be playing at over seven hundred yards. So it's going to be favoring those those big hitters and guys like Dustin and Day and Rory. I think are going to have a, a distinct advantage over a lot of these guys if they're pounding the ball out, you know, three fifty in the middle of the fairway. Might just have to let let the group behind me play through on that one. Yeah, I I might just put just skip that. <laughs> Should we throw it? Let's throw. I'll, it. I'll take the double and just I'll go. To there the next you go. One. There you go. Well, we're playing through, Matt. Uh, we got to find a way to get some Chicago Bears news analysis into the podcast. Little tangentially, we might make a make a connection here, but Pro Bowl wide receiver Jeremy Macklin out on the market now. Just kind of a stunning release by Kansas City. Um, you can't you can't say enough about Jeremy Macklin. He's been one of the top receivers in the league for a long time. He has regressed a bit, but Kansas City just let him go for nothing. Yeah, that was that was kind of a stunner to see. Like you said yesterday, news just kind of started to trickle through about it. Makes you wonder if yeah, I know he's been banged up the last couple of years. Maybe they think there's there's no salvaging that. Maybe they just didn't want to be committed. I think it was they're saving ten million or so on the cap. But yeah, 
Uh, he, he's going to be a fit for a lot of teams in the same way that Victor Cruz was a fit for the Bears. Just let's let's take a flyer on him, see what happens. I don't think anybody's going to be throwing big money at him because it's this late in the offseason. And obviously a team like Kansas City's cutting him for a reason. But he, he does have the potential to slide into a team like, you know, dare I say it, New England and be uh, a yeah. perfect fit in a team like that. I know LaShawn McCoy is apparently trying to recruit him to Buffalo. I have no idea why he would want to go play in Buffalo. Um yeah. We'll see. I don't know. In this age of cynicism, you always ask the question, what's behind this? What's there? There's got to be something else there because Kansas City no longer has a top-tier target. No. Tyreek Hill is not a one wide receiver. Tyreek Hill is a scat guy that you move around and get in the ball. They don't have that top-end wide receiver anymore, and that makes me think that there's something behind this. That aside, you almost wish this happened three weeks ago because I think that Jeremy Macklin – has a little bit left in the tank more than Victor Cruz. I agree, and I think there might have been a, a chance that he was a Chicago Bear. But either way, not that it really matters. It would have been a one-year deal. If he had a nice year, he would have been out of here somewhere else. So that said, it, it's going to be interesting to see where he lands because if he's healthy, he is a legitimate game-breaker, a legitimate, probably not number one, but a, a very, very good number two. And, and if a team like New England or, you know, I don't know, Back in Philadelphia, maybe, or the Cowboys, someone like that, pick them up. They have a legitimate weapon to add to a pretty good you know, field of, of weapons. We will see what happens with Jeremy Macklin. We're going to move to baseball now, Matt. Uh, Cubs, every time they look like they're, they're locked into a hangover, they come back, three-game sweep of the cards, finishing up yesterday. Um, they look like the Cubs again for the last three days. What, what do you make of this team? Because... The consistency hasn't been there, but on paper, they're still the best team in baseball, and yet days like yesterday and a couple days before that, they showed why. I agree. They're, they're What we saw the last three days is more of what they are than we saw the, the previous six or seven, what it was on their West Coast swing. They're, they're going to be just – they're going to be fine. They're going to be there partially because the NL Central just isn't very good. Um, and I think as much as – the Cubs did bust out this weekend. The Bats woke up, got some clutch hits in late innings, and, and I think came back from behind in all three games to win. I think my kind of takeaway from this series is St. Louis is it's not very good. No. They don't really have much going for them. Um, Lance Lynn is kind of looking like their best pitcher right now. He's Lance Lynn. Uh, yeah. Michael Waka got lit up. Mike Leake. Didn't and, have you know, it. Waka. Just guys that look look to be over the hill and, and yeah. the Cubs built their system modeled after what the Cardinals did. And it seems like in the last few seasons, the Cardinals have got away from that build from the bottom mentality. And now they're just kind of hanging on to these older guys. Yeah. They, they've, they've started to, it, it was almost a little bit like the, what, what the Blackhawks have done the last couple of years. They're trying to salvage, you know, older guys more so not on the end of their career, but kind of the, the, beginning of the downslide and see if they can't you know recoup a, a year or two of, of greatness from some of those guys and it's not working they're and i think now under 500 two games under 500 26 and 28 and they're they're gonna slide if they don't figure this out so the, the cubs have a chance to run away with this division and hide if they if they keep a playing like this because milwaukee is not I'd, i would be shocked if milwaukee is there at the end and i think that's really the only team up there cincinnati's terrible pittsburgh's terrible if st louis isn't so, good there's yeah. no other threat in that division for the cubs it, they'll run away with it's it. definitely the cubs for the taking here and you never want to lose six straight games but it puts you into a point of adversity and they've shown that they still have that 
back against the wall gene. I don't know if you could ever have your back against the wall in early June, but this was a situation as close as you get to a must-win situation in June, and the Cubs reacted. So I don't think there's going to be any fallout from uh, from these couple of uh, losing streaks that they have had. Another Cubs note that came up this week, the gift that keeps on giving, Bryce Harper rumors. Uh, he was rumored to have said that he would love to play at Wrigley Field. It's always been his favorite, and obviously everyone across the nation took that and ran with it. Harper probably got $500 million coming his way on the next contract. He's good friends with Chris Bryant. It all makes sense. Does it happen, Matt? Okay, if they go out and pay... Bryce Harper five hundred million, and then Chris Bryant's a free agent two or three years later. He's going to want six hundred. So they're going to it they're going to commit one point one billion dollars to two players. Welcome to twenty seventeen, Matt. I can't. Ra- I, did, I I maybe that happens, but I cannot wrap my head around that idea. I just the, can't. The only the only reason that I don't think that this happens not the only reason, but one of the main reasons is. Because baseball's not a sport where guys are defined by championships. This would be a totally yeah. ring chaser move by Bryce Harper, but he doesn't need to ring chase. He's already solidified. He's in the middle of his career, dead in the middle of his prime, and he'll continue to be great. I think he can win a World Series elsewhere, but just because you go to the Chicago Cubs doesn't mean your probability of winning a World Series goes up that exponentially. It, baseball players are remembered through individual pursuits. You couldn't. You probably couldn't tell me how many rings DiMaggio has, but you could tell me that Jordan has six and Russell has 11 and Mm -hmm. all of these other things. So baseball is just not the sport where you're defined by your rings. He doesn't need to ring chase in my eyes. I'm with you. Um, I I definitely think the Cubs will become a player if he does get to free agency. I'm still not sure he's going to because I think Washington will make him an offer before free agency that he probably shouldn't say no to. Um, but we'll see. It, it would be interesting to see him get there, though, and just see the bidding war because you know all the big players. The Cubs will be would be in it. Washington obviously be trying to keep him. L.A. would be throwing stupid money at him. The Yankees would be throwing stupid money at him. Boston, could you imagine was, into that short porch and right in Boston? They'll be throwing stupid money. So it, it would be fun to see the reports of how high these contract offers would get for him. I've said it for the last few years. I really think Bryce Harper ends his career in pinstripes out in the Bronx. It just makes too much sense. I'd be shocked if he wasn't a Yankee at some point throughout when, his, his well, When you're talking about $500 million contracts, record-breaking contracts, who who does it better than the Yankees? Nobody. And if I, Honestly, if I'm him, I, I think if I'm not in Washington, I, the Yankees just seems right, doesn't it? Yeah. It just seems – there's no real other way to put it. That It just seems like a right fit. And with with the short porch and right field, he'll be hitting moonshots to the third deck. It'll be the most fun we've had in baseball in a long time. He'll hit 60 home runs. It, it'll reignite the sport. Get him to New York. We're out in front of it, Matt. And talk about ring chasing, too. You get him in that lineup with Aaron Judge. Uh, I, I, did you see some of those home runs he was hitting in batting practice? That, well, the, it was like 500 feet off Toronto. that hotel. It like, was just ridiculous. Swinging easy, enjoying his time, just relaxing, and he, Popping him off of the face of the hotel. I mean, you guys are freak. He might be the front runner for AL MVP right now. I think he's almost got to be, but he's fun to watch, man. He is. He might. We talked about faces of baseball a couple weeks ago. Maybe not yet because it's still early in his superstardom. But a year or so down the road, if he's still doing this in pinstripes, he's going to be your your face of baseball, especially with a number like that, ninety nine. He's going to get the jersey sales. He's going to be right up there. What always amazes me, too, with the Yankees, they're always positioned as the bad guy, as this evil empire, or they have been while we were growing up. But they always hit a guy 
who's kind of the soft-faced, mild-mannered face of the league. Jeter prior to, and now they've found this Aaron Judge kid uh, from pretty much obscurity, or at least to us, obscurity. And he's this mild-mannered kid who's super humble about his talent, but is this top-end hitter that we that's doing things we've never seen before. You know what I think uh, bothers me the most about Aaron Judge is I had him on my fantasy team last year. Oh, um, he, he was oh. kind of a late season pickup, you know, one of those guys. You know, <laughs> t- t- took some chances on some Yankee prospects coming up because we heard all of them last year, and I did not keep him. That's Matt's fantasy minute brought to you by Matt's Sorry. favorite foods. Um, there's a lot of them. There's a, what's your Matt? Let's let's go on a tangent here. What's oh. the best thing you've eaten in the last week? Last week? Oh man. Ooh, I went to Potbelly yesterday or Saturday. Got go one wrong. of those. Uh, got a got a pizza sub. Oh, Can't go wrong. That was fantastic. I, I'm gonna go. With that. I ate I ate my weight in food uh, back in New York. I would hope week. so. You don't go to New York and not eat your weight in food. Cafe dell'arte or trattoria dell'arte. Pardon me. It's a little Italian joint. If you're ever in New York, right on Broadway, 52nd and Broadway, it's the spot. My guy Raymond, the Mater D. I'll set you up nice. Oh yeah, you got a, You got a connection now. Yeah, he came out, brought the prosecco to the table. It was it was an, it was a nice scene. You know, we were sitting outside, beautiful evening. Me and me and Papa Moose, so we had a good time out there. Were you guys speaking Italian back and forth to each other? Uh, just boopity boppity beepity. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that is that's, Italian. That's Moose Italian. That we is what straight, Italian is. Strictly Italian dialects and swear words. That's all we got. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. More than I got. Well, Matt, the other side of town. If we're going to keep it baseball for a second. Uh, Things look to be trending in the direction that we thought they would. Sox losing five straight, giving up nearly ten runs per game in those five losses. Uh, it's it's expected. It's not it, it's not jarring me at all. You know, I, I joke about it a couple times. You know, with the White Sox and with the Bears. You know, I'll jokingly say, "Hey, you know, the Bears are back," or "You know, the Sox are back after you know whatever a, a stupid walk off win against the Padres or whatever." But the White Sox, after this these last five games, they're back. This is the White Sox. This is what we knew was coming. This is what we expected. And this is okay. This is this is almost what we wanted. But these are the real White Sox. Anthony Swarzak yeah. is not a stud reliever. David Robertson is not a stud reliever. He's you know the tier below that. The lineup isn't great. Um, they don't have much starting pitching. Miguel Gonzalez and Derek Holland aren't Cy Young candidates. So they're back. This is the White Sox. You just got to hope that they can salvage something out of guys like Holland and Gonzalez before they fall completely off the edge and you know, recoup something in a trade form. That's the only thing. My only concern here is when you do start to slide and you go into full rebuild mode, that you don't lose the clubhouse. You don't lose interest. You don't lose attitude. You got to have these guys be able to play through this thing because that can be just as valuable as a winning season is learning how to lose and learning how much you hate that. I totally agree, and it seems like Ricky Renneria still has that clubhouse in a good place from everything you know you kind of hear and read, and it, you just you hope that clubhouse stays upbeat. And while they are trying to win, and they do realize that you know going out there every day, you are trying to get that W. But I, I think they do all kind of realize what's going on here that there is a little bit of a of a greater plan. And while maybe they're not going to win the division this year, get to the playoffs, that they can still have some building blocks going forward and, and some, yeah. some things to build on going into the years when they start getting these younger kids up. Yeah. Well, Matt, I, I'm not going to let at any point this season, the White Sox piss me off, but I do have some things that are pissing me off. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. No, 
You're gonna hear about it. You can't handle the truth. Boy, have you lost your mind? Cause I'll help you find it. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, Matt. My grievance today, I don't know where to direct it, whether it be at the fans, whether it be at the league, but I have a grievance that needs to be aired out. We watched history two nights ago. Albert Pujols became just the ninth member of the 600 home run club, and it was swept under the rug. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when we were kids, these milestones meant something. Albert Pujols is possibly the greatest hitter that we've seen in the last two decades. He does it on a grand slam in epic fashion and becomes part of this just rare air in baseball history. And isn't that what baseball is? Baseball's all about the history, and it maybe got 10 minutes on SportsCenter. And I'm not saying that SportsCenter's doing it wrong. I'm not saying that anyone's doing it wrong. But the league itself is not positioned properly right now. This should have been on the back page of the sports section everywhere in the nation, just like it was when Tomei, even prior to Tomei, just like it was when Bonds got there or when Sosa got there or when Griffey got there. These were moments in baseball history, and it didn't feel like that with Albert Pujols. Pujols could very well hit 700 home runs. He's got five years left with almost 30 per with the Angels and that crazy contract he signed. So... He's not done doing this, but we can't take him for granted. He's a three-time MVP, two-time World Series, six-time Silver Slugger. He's a living legend, and we seem not to care about him because of the mistakes made two decades ago. This steroid cloud that still looms over the game that we don't talk about, but is the unspoken elephant in the room. Was Albert Pujols a part of that? I don't know. Am I going to put that on him? I will not. The man just hit 600 home runs. Let's give him some respect. That's my grievance, Matt. You know what? That was that was said pretty pretty perfectly. I wanted to add some stuff on, but I think you you kind of covered it. I mean, Sports Center. When I remember when we were younger kids growing up, and you had guys like Tommy, you had Griffey, you had Sosa, A Rod, even to an extent later when he was when they were chasing six hundred. There was updates every night on TV. He was pretty much leading off the show. This is what they did. If they got a home run, hey, he's this you know so much closer. You just it, like you said, it kind of got swept under the rug. You didn't. Re- I saw maybe a tweet about it. They did a quick highlight about it, you know, in the middle of the show, and that was that was that. And this but is this isn't not, something we're going to see again really anytime yeah. soon. I'm looking at the active leaders list. After Pujols at 600, you got Miguel Cabrera at 451, who's 34 years old, and yeah. he'll probably get to 600. But it's not a given. And after that, you got Adrian Beltre, who's not going to get there. Carlos Beltran, not going to get there. Ryan Howard. But just think about, what you, think about what you just said, too, and that gives more credit to, to this milestone. Miguel Cabrera, who's just an aficion, a hitting aficionado. He's everything you think about in a hitter, and he's not even close to it yet. Yeah. You know? And he's 34 years old. That just goes to show how prolific he was in those years with the Cardinals. I think it was something like in his 11 years with the Cardinals, he finished – in the top three in MVP voting, 10 of those 11 years. The man dominated the game. Has he regressed? Yes, but he's still hitting home runs at a sustainable rate, and he will continue to do so. I I just think the guy deserves more than a pat on the back, and it just goes to show that nothing has legs anymore. The, The sports fan and the way we digest sports media and the way we digest sports news is very immediate. So he hit his 600 home runs. What's going on today? No. 
He hit a 600 run, home runs. Let's celebrate the guy. Yeah, and you know, in a, in a time that we've like we've talked about a couple times here, in a time where baseball is still looking for a new marketable face and a new, you know, who's that guy? And what, Pujols isn't going to be that guy going forward. He still might be the most recognizable name left in baseball, and he just did something you could market the hell out of. Absolutely. Mr. 600, you got Bonds, Hank Aaron, The Babe, A-Rod, Willie Mays, Griffey, Tommy, Sosa, Pujols. That's, that's, a, that's rare air. Those are the, the presidents of home run hitting. That's a, those are the kings. We just crowned another king, and, and it seems like no one was there for the coronation. It's... And we've said it now enough and beaten a dead horse, I guess, a little bit here. You, you took care of it in the grievance, but it's it's a shame that such an honor like this and something we're not going to see again for quite possibly a very long time is just being – it's gone. It's done. It already happened. Nobody cares about it anymore. It's, it's ancient history three days later. Yep, and that is the uh, the new cycle that we live in nowadays. Things don't have legs anymore. they got to just be what they are, and then we move on. Is what it is, I guess. All right, we're moving on, Matt. You got a grievance for us or no? No, I'm good this week. I uh, <laughs> I, I tried to think of one. Um, I, I had a good week. You had a good week? I well, had a good I'm week in sports. I'm happy for you. You get angry and you bring me something next week, all right? I will. You know I will. All right, we're jumping, into, we're jumping into buy or sell. Time to go, Matt. You want to lead off or you want me to? Uh, yeah, I'll lead off. Go for I'll it. I'll lead you off with a buy or sell. Ian Happ, two home runs yesterday in the win over the Cardinals is a permanent fixture on the big league club with the Chicago Cubs. So I will say, I'll put an asterisk on this, but provided that he's not traded or used as a you know trade chip for a, a big-time starter that they still might need, I think he will be a permanent fixture on the club. I'm mm-hmm. not totally sure about the starting lineup. Just because okay. that lineup with the guys that, you know, they, it seems like the rotation that they have going at center, second, short, whatever, with him, Baez, Russell, Almora, they, they, they almost take over the lineup in phases. Um, and this seems like it's kind of Hap's phase to be in there, and then he's going to go into a slump, and then Almora's going to come in, and he's going to bust out of it, and then he'll be everybody's darling. I think Hap will be a fixture on the club. He's going to get a lot of time. I'm not sure he's going to be the center fielder hitting leadoff every single day for the rest of the season just because that's just not really how Joe Madden operates, if yeah. that makes sense. No, that makes sense. So you're buying I am buying he is a fixture on the club, not the lineup. Sounds good. I got one for you. Hit me. Uh, a subject maybe more near and dear to our hearts as Notre Dame fans, but uh, Malik Zaire, uh, to no one's surprise, is, is out at Notre Dame transferring. He's going to Florida. Buy or sell Florida winning that division and competing with Bama in the SEC championship because of Malik Zaire. Ah, well, you bring in that caveat of winning the SEC. Um, I'm I'm selling that just because that is still uh, Bama's the team to beat in the SEC, and uh, there are some other teams there. I know the depth of the SEC might not be what it was even three, four years ago, but uh, I think it's a good fit for Malik. I think there's a good place for Malik's year to go where he can kind of free wheel a little bit more than he could at Notre Dame. He's an unbelievable talent. We saw him a couple years back in that game that he hurt his ankle. It was an ankle injury, correct? Yeah, Texas. Yeah, that bad ankle injury against Texas in a completely Or no, changed. Virginia, sorry. Yeah, was it Virginia? Yes, yeah, he, the hurt, he had the great first game and then hurt himself in the second. And then the following week was a loss to Texas, I believe. 
No, no, no. no. This is opening, two weeks ago. opening week. Opening yeah. week. Then Deshaun, yes. then okay. Kaiser took over and kept the job. Yes. Thank you for clearing up my uh, my. It's a rec- long, depressing history. My though. recollection of Notre Dame history. But Malik was was a great talent prior to that. He showed crazy arm strength. He showed the ability to stand in the pocket, the ability to run, and most importantly, the ability to know when to do one or the other. He's not going to walk into Florida and claim that starting spot. I think it's Jack Del Rio's son is currently labeled to be the starter there, Luke Del Rio. And he's going to have to go in there and prove himself. But if he's leaving to avoid a quarterback controversy at Notre Dame, he's going to get one somewhere else. That's the only thing that worries me. But I think that there is a place for Malik Zaire on the field because he's another one of these guys that has a little bit of tape on him, and we know his ceiling is high, but Mm -hmm. he needs more tape if he wants to make it to that next level. I I think that's a pretty fair point. All right, so I'm selling him being the reason they win the SEC, though. Okay. All right, Matt, quick little buy or sell here for you. I want your take. I know we're a little late on this one, but I'm old and they just got to me. Buy or sell fidget spinners. I'm going to sell them simply because I have no idea how they work. Um, (laughs) I've I've seen them. I've seen them spin, but I don't really know how they start to spin or what it is you do. Mm -hmm. They don't make sense to me. Yeah, there's nothing there. I don't get it. There's nothing there. Is that bad? No, and that, that's all I really need from you is you're selling the fidget spinner. Yeah, that I don't. Was test and you passed. Hey, I haven't passed one of those in a while. <laughs> there you go. Buy or sell, Joe, that the ending of the Scripps National Spelling Bee was more compelling television than the second half of Game 1 of the NBA Finals because there was going on at the same time. Oh, so a lot on. of people tweeting about it saying, I'm switching over here, and I doubt they all did. But. That spelling bee was pretty compelling stuff. I'm selling on it. People get crazy about the spelling bee. People love it. People get really into it. They do a Darren Novell handicapping kids. That's it, about right. Yeah, right? Exactly. That Medella might be Lump. the most... Bleed purple. That Bleed might, purple. Medella might be Lump. the most right saying that you've ever, that I've ever, that you've ever <laughs> said on this podcast. Darren Ravel was handicapping kids in a spelling bee. <laughs> we digress, but I'm selling that. doesn't matter if it's a 30-point game. I'll watch basketball over the spelling bee, partially because I spell at a sixth-grade level. So I'm going to sell that one, and we're going to get into a, a one-time segment, segment here. Cue the music if we have it. The Moose and Rune spelling bee. Winner take all. Winner, winner take all. Loser gets sent an actual hive of bees, so you don't want to lose. I will not give you my real address. Okay. Matt, I'm going to start it off here, and I'm going to give you a word. You come back and you spell it. Okay. The word, the word is chufunct. 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 Can I get a country of origin, please? Uh, it is Native American in origin, so North American origin it would be. Can I hear it in a sentence, please? Uh, the chufunct tribe is native to the Louisiana area. Chufunct. Well, I, I'm going to guess that you wouldn't pick a normal word that's spelled like it sounds. And this is all honor system. No one's looking at any, no one's doing any Googling. Oh, right no. Now. No, I am not doing any Googling. I, now that I think about it, the spelling bee probably isn't the most applicable to a podcast, but go on. It's, this is great radio. <laughs> um, C-H-U-F- U-N-C-T. Very close, but incorrect. Chufunct. 
T-C-H-E-F-U-N-C-T-E. See, I was right. I was right. You, you tried to, you threw a curveball in on me. You had a couple letters, right? You threw a random T in there when it wasn't too... Matt, you I'm filing. Like, a, I'm filing a protest. Matt, you could get me with the I before E rule here, so you're still going to win. Except after C. <laughs> or words sounding like A, E sounding like A. I don't know. Go on. Okay, Joe. My word is pterodactyl. Ah, uh, the dinosaur. You're, you're evil. I know that it smelled all weird. Uh, can you use it in a sentence? The the pterodactyl was a flying dinosaur. Okay, pterodactyl. Those are the ones with wings, right? I know I've seen it. Yeah, you're right. I think it's... Oh, no, this is going to be embarrassing. Pterodactyl. P-T-E-R-O-D-A-C-T-L? Pterodactyl? You were so close, Joe. Was that really? You got the P in the beginning right. You did. It's P-T-E. R O D A C T Y L. You lost me at you lost me at E D. Okay, so so that's 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 zero points either side. Matt, I'm gonna I'm gonna dial it down a little bit here. Still could be a tough one to spell. Your word, your final word is millennium. Millennium. Like the new millennium? Millennium. Use it in a sentence, please. The year 2000 marked our millennium. Okay. I got a, a M. I'm picturing I, you writing it in the air like one of the kids. That's exactly what I'm doing. I, <laughs> I even have a pen in my hand. L-L-E-N-I-U-M. That is incorrect. Damn millennium. It. Double N M I L L E N N I U M Millennium. Knew that second N would get you. I said double N. Or you said one N. All right, so this is for the win. This is for this is for bragging rights here. Spelling if, B first annual Moose and Rune Spelling B bragging rights. If you get this, I'll be shocked. This this was my. I'm sorry. This was my. Uh, this is more of my like. I'm taking it from the spelling bee kind of word because I wanted to do one of those. Go ahead. This is. I don't even know how to pronounce it, but I'll try. Samotricus. Samotricus. It means country of origin. Uh, Greek. Greek. Samotricus. It means having wavy hair. Ooh. Yeah. All right. So I'm a little Samotricus myself. Um, Not really. Samotricus. P S O M. Some. P-S-O-M-O-T-R-I-C-O-U-S. No, nah, you, you could not have been more far away. Simotriosis. <laughs> C-Y-M-O-T-R-I-C-H-O-U-S. Simotriosis. All right, well, Matt, that was the first annual Moose and Rune Spelling Bee. We end in a dead heat tie at 0-0. It was a pleasure playing with you. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. It was real barn burner, though, wasn't it? Matt, before we get out of here, we got to mention, we got to tip our hats. Our alma mater, Illinois Wesleyan University, they go on those trips every four years to play football abroad, show the boys another country. They were in Japan yesterday, and uh, it was it was quite the sight to see. Always really cool for those guys to get that experience. 
Yeah, um, I'm, I, you did not get to. You got the the weird gap. I was the in betweener that didn't get a trip. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I was able. We to did our own trip. We did our own trip, and it was uh, Normash wasn't there, and there were minimal rules. It was a lot of fun. Shout right. out to the to the Euro crew. Probably worked out well, just as well for you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I did get the chance to do that. Um, it's it's an unforgettable experience. I was talking about it with uh, our quarterback Rob Gallic. Um, and when we were talking about how, you know, watching that game, seeing them take the field, hearing that national anthem in a foreign country and taking the field to born in the USA, Rob was hurt, so he wasn't playing. I wasn't good, so I wasn't playing. Um, <laughs> but that was probably the most jacked up, fired up, ready to play a football game as I've ever been. So it's a really cool experience, something you can't really discreet, know what it's like until you do it. But it, it was fun to watch in, uh, what was it, midnight, I guess, Saturday going into Sunday. Um, seeing those guys represent uh, Wesleyan in America and, and put a hurting on that the, the Japanese team. I forget the name of the university. They're called the Big Bears, though. 33-6. Uh, to 6. It was fun to watch. Big Bears. They're, they're a powerhouse over there is what I hear. And I, I was told that we do have some, some football players who do tune into the podcast. So if you guys tune into the podcast, at least make sure you subscribe. Awesome. Guys, congratulations. Hope you had a great trip. Safe travels all around. Uh, it's always a great day to be a Titan. That flight's got to suck, though. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah, Hard yeah. pass. No, thanks. Hard Six pass. hours to Sweden was long enough. I'll boat. I'll cruise back. Ooh, that'd be fun. You'll, you'll see me in October. That'll, yeah, that'll <laughs> take like three months. <laughs> all right, Matt. It's been a pleasure, as it always is. We uh, touched on a lot today. I, I'm, I'm ready to shut us down. If, uh, if you have anything else to say, or forever hold your peace. Go for it. Shut it down. Shut it all down. Shut it down. Shut it down. Houston, we have shut down. I've seen enough. Shut it down. All right, Matt, I'm going to shut us down here. We like to keep things Chicago-centric here on the Moose and Runes podcast, and this is a, a pat on the back and a tip of the cap to NBA referee Danny Crawford. Danny Crawford has been a longtime referee in the NBA, and he is currently working his 23rd straight finals. This is his 23rd straight finals appearance, completely dwarfs LeBron's measly seven. Danny Crawford, a Naperville native, and uh, if his children, Drew and Leah, good friends of mine, are any indication of the type of referee he is, he's an even better father. A great family, a great Naperville family, and uh, Danny Crawford has to be applauded for working his 23rd straight finals. NBA officials are eliminated uh, from round to round in the finals during the playoffs, so these these things aren't awarded. They go in front of a board of appeals, a, a judiciary board, and they rank the referees. Danny Crawford's been at the top of those rankings now for 23 straight years. We gotta tip our hats to a local guy just at the top of his discipline in a league where a lot of times referees don't get the praise. So we're here giving Danny Crawford a little bit of praise because the next closest streak is 14 by Mike Callahan. Danny Crawford, the gold standard in NBA referees, a tip of the cap to you and your entire family. That's the Moose and Runes Podcast, Episode 6. For Matt Rooney, I'm Joe Musso. Again, we are live on iTunes. Get into the iTunes Podcast Store. Hit subscribe. Hit subscribe again. Make sure you subscribe. Tell a friend. Tell your parents. Tell your grandparents. Tell your grandparents' cousins' grandparents. I know those people are probably passed away by now. God rest their soul. But the Moose and Runes Podcast, I can't say it enough. Now on iTunes, click subscribe. Matt Rooney, we're out. Let's have a good week. 
May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs>